not exactly sure what I'm going to say tonight, but I'm kind of excited. <laughs> when I thanked you for for coming this evening and and temporarily uh, unplugging from our electo- electronic fixation, compulsion. Uh, it was really based on something that was on television about uh, an experiment that was done with people who, what they're finding about people who are spending a lot of time on their smartphones. I don't know how many of you, uh, this was actually, this is coming to me secondhand, but it was uh, really revealing that uh, after people were asked to put down their smartphones for one day and essentially almost to a person they reported the the symptoms of of detox, of coming off of addictions, a lot of anxiety, a lot of um, just literally stomach aches and, and isolation and all kinds of things. And again, I don't know the details, but what it... What it looks like as a result of these marvelous instruments is people are learning their, losing their capacity to connect. People can't have conversations anymore. They don't, they're a little afraid to actually look somebody in the eyes and speak to them. And this is really tragic in a way. When it is, I have to believe this is true for everyone, whether they know it or not, our deepest longing is to connect. Our deepest longing is to feel a sense of, of intimacy with life, with another. And it seems that most of our actions, in spite of their innocence, innocence in, in that we're doing things in order to, to bring... Uh, bring a sense of well-being to our lives. We're doing things in order to feel better, in order to have fun, in order to be happy. M- much of what we practice is, uh, is not onward leading toward well-being and happiness, but toward, uh, toward disconnection. And, and coming to a Tuesday evening sitting is... Obviously, some acknowledgement that you you know you already know that that to find real relief you have to you have to put it all down you have to actually connect and we don't actually connect in the sense of being face to face conversing but we connect in a a love of truth we connect in a a love of presence we connect in a love of being awake having our senses fully awake uh, where we can actually hear when there's a sound and see when there's a sight and smell when there's a smell and taste when there's a taste. The most, the thing, the, the experiences that are nearest to us that are so easily overlooked while we're, we're often busy making plans or busy uh, being absorbed in our, our virtual world, the virtual world of what we're thinking about the world or what we're thinking about others or, or just absorbed in the, in the game, in the, 
in the well, I know a lot of people, and, and this is my own particular addiction right now, which is the whole the whole political uh, debate, etc. But fortunately, I've, I'm right in the middle of of two retreats. I just led a retreat, and there's actually someone here, hey Aaron, someone here who was on a retreat up in the this very cool place up in the mountains in Arizona. It's off the grid, so I was very plugged into the the nature in this place, and and I had the good fortune of watching what happened to a group of, of people unplugged from the, from the flow of life, even though I did have to, because there, somehow there was a phone signal up there, I had to encourage people to turn off their, their phones even up, up on the mountain there. But to, almost to a person, from a, from, some, from a gentle, relaxed continuity of attention... Over the course of four days, there was a palpable sense of, of tenderness and warmth and so much love flowed in that, in that short practice period. And that's, that is our nature, and that only comes out of connecting. It only comes out of being alive and connecting with life where it touches us. And that is so easily missed. It's so easily missed. And I'm about to, um, I'm a, I'm about to go off again on Thursday to believe this or not uh, to uh, another retreat. This one is in the country between uh, Austin and Houston, Texas. Hello, shout out to anybody who's list- who will hear this talk from Texas. I happen to, I've been going there for about 25 years to lead retreats and. And I actually love, love, love the Texans, and I love the place that I go to lead retreats. So in spite of whatever your views are here in the city about Texas, there, there are people who really love the Dharma there, love the, the teachings, love the practice. But I'm going this particular time to lead a loving-kindness retreat, uh, which is all about uh, the teaching of, of metta, or uh, universal loving-kindness, very different than... Of course, loving-kindness includes everything, but it's not limited to our sentimental kind of love that we have just for the, the people that are easiest to love and that we are nearest and dearest. But uh, the potential in all of our hearts, when we feel connected to life, to feel a, a natural goodwill, again, not just for the cl- closest, but to all beings everywhere, and that all of us have this deep capacity to connect with life and to have that boundless feeling of goodwill, and then have our thoughts, our words, and our actions express that. And so I thought that I would get that started a little bit tonight to speak about connecting and to speak about loving kindness uh, because we all have the same, whether you're in Texas and in Rick Perry country or you're here in the city, we all need love. We all need to connect. And we're all human, and we're all, we all have the same, Texans have the same problem with greed, hatred, and ignorance that all of us do. So we have to think about what is that feeling of love? What is that feeling of goodwill? How, what's it feel like in our minds? What's it, what's it show up like in our words? What's it show up like in our actions? It's because it's a living experience. It's not just a concept, oh, universal loving kindness. It's something that you have to connect with. And that is such a universal need. And 
And there is, we have to also look at what obstructs that in our lives. What keeps you from feeling that birthright, that birthright to love, that which shows up when, when it, it's so obvious on retreats where you see when you take all the usual all the usual distractions, all the usual busyness, all the compulsions away, and people just settle in, even if they're not doing loving-kindness practice per se, love begins to flow. Love is the natural expression of an awakened heart, an open, an open mind. And so somehow or other, we have all come out of that wide circle of, whoa, wide circle of, of connection into a narrow world of constriction and contraction and worry and anxiety and wanting and so I'm think I'm saying out loud what are some of the the the, the um, what are some of the obstructions to the feeling of love and goodwill and the you know first one I think of is is just the the constant uh, self interest constant preoccupation with ourselves. How do you feel when I say that? Do you feel guilty? <laughs> do you feel like I'm speaking to you, or do you, do you think it's about others? See, on one hand, I was, I, I don't remember, did I use the passage last week from Rabbi Hillel from one, I think it was from 10 A.D. or something, 2,500 or 2,000 years ago. He said, if I am not for myself, uh, then, then who am I? Or who is for me or something? If I am only for myself, then what am I? So we do have to attend to ourselves. We have to take care of this, our needs, our, our basic needs. But we also have to take care of the the needs of the heart. So the self-interest is a very natural, our individual interests are essential. It's not as though we abandon them for the Dharma. In fact, if you don't take care of yourself, that's one of the acts of loving kindness. It always starts with oneself. However, out of love for ourselves, we've somehow gotten stuck on uh, only for ourselves. We've gotten stuck on Innocently, as I always say, innocently trying to soothe ourselves using means, using means that actually increase our disease. The, the story I was thinking of while I was sitting tonight, I didn't know I would use this, but I was thinking about when I first started leading classes and retreats. I had this very tiny just budding, altruistic intention to be of benefit. And my teachers kind of pushed me way before I was really ready to let go into that process. They pushed me to start leading classes and retreats. And I care. I cared uh, about myself and about my well-being. But little did I know that my means of of caring for myself was holding myself to impossible standards, to perfectionism. Any of you relate to that? And so what would I do if I, I'm sharing the Dharma, I'm 
I'm spreading my my good cheer and my my love of the teachings and confidence about the practice. But if if it didn't sound the way it should, I would instead of instead of just saying you did the best you could, instead of being a friend, putting my, putting as we would to a friend, you'd put your arm around their shoulder and say. You, you did as well as you can. You know, you did this well. Is it, you could do this a little better, but you did great. Instead of doing that, I would just pummel myself. I would hold myself to this impossible standard, and I would just put in the knife and then twist it. And I would hold myself hostage for days until finally I would get worn out from all the self-judgment. About, and this was all out of trying to, trying to do well. <laughs> This is just one means of uh, of trying to uh, care for myself that just leads to the exact opposite. It leads to a sense of disconnection, isolation, self-preoccupation. And then the way that we do it through greed, through wanting to soothe our heart, through feeding the wanting mind, through shopping, through, through distraction, a very natural intention to experience the pleasure of the senses. But the byproduct of just feeding that wanting mind is an incessant case of dissatisfaction and a continual need to keep moving the dream, the golden the golden egg, the, the next experience. And then we're all worn out thinking, as I think I must have mentioned it last week, that that we're that it's not about here. It's about I'll be happy. I'll be okay when I've got it together. When I when I get what I want, or when I get rid of what I don't want. When I and then our and then our life just gets bound up in the in the concept of time, and that doesn't that that leads to a closing off of our connection, our love. So both mindfulness and loving-kindness practice lead to love. And how do they do this? They, first of all, they, they ask us to, if, if you're actually doing any kind of uh, practice that requires some kind of presence of mind, whether you're generating thoughts of loving-kindness or you're just paying attention to the flow of mind, of your mind and body, you are in that moment, you are using a wonderful capacity in our mind to, uh, to bring your attention to something, to this moment. And whenever I talk about this, this sense of connecting, I'm always drawn to feeling what it's like just to, to have my mind come from the scattered world and for tonight, when it comes from whatever preoccupation, whatever I was thinking about from today, and then bringing it into this room, knowing I'm here with you. As soon as I actually acknowledge that I'm here in this room with you, I've gathered my attention here, and perhaps you've gathered your attention here, we start to make that that little simple act of gathering our attention here, clearly comprehending that, that we're here together, Immediately, I start to feel a greater sense of intimacy, first of all, with you. Do you feel it at all when we, 
We just, we're not there, we're not then, we're here together right now. So we've, all we've done is use this quality of our mind, the Buddha called it vitaka, which is just the connecting or gathering of our attention. And in this case, I'm doing it with you. You as a group. And asking you to do it with me right now. And when I do that, and I stay here for a few moments, that's, that's the second quality that is the, the ingredient, the central ingredients in being able to reclaim that capacity to love. The second quality being sustaining that connection that I've just made, the sustaining of that attention that I've gathered to you. So I've connected with you, you've connected with me, and we're sustaining it for a few moments. And if, if we really stay here for a while, and we don't let, we don't, just if our mind relaxes into this, and we're, we're not off on our next thought, and we're not off on our thought before, something that separates us begins to melt away. And we start to feel the, what I'll say is the gladness or the, the sense of comfort, the sense of what the Buddha called sukha, happiness, of being present together, of connecting with life where it's connecting with us. And if I stay with, if I stay with it, if we stay with it a little longer, all of us here, and this happens anyway because we're sharing dharma. That's what happens in a, in a, in when sangha comes together. There's a, there's a field that gets created. But if we stay here longer, then we we will experience a fourth quality. First, we got we got the feeling of connection. Then we got the sense of sustained, of being sustained, and that gives rise to that sense of comfort. And next, we become really interested, really, um, potentially really rapturously interested in what's happening here. We feel, actually, there's a felt sense of rapture. Get a little stoned, you might say. We may even feel a little of the bliss, a shimmering quality of presence. Now, that's not, we didn't create anything. All we did was, was bring our attention a little bit closer to the life of the present moment. And then last but not least, if we sustain this for a little while, we experience what's called uh, ekagata. Well, the one before, we got vitaka, vichara, sukha, which was the comfort, pity, rapture, or intense interest. Finally, we arrive at, and it's all kind of mixed up together, we arrive at ekagata. Ekagata, which means one-pointedness. But that, that one-pointedness, the deeper meaning of one-pointedness, it, and this is where the idea of it isn't satisfying, but the felt experience of it is much more so. The one point that includes everything. We begin to sense that, we're, that we, as Thich Nhat Hanh would put it, we enter our but we sense this interbeing. Now that can be, you might experience that here in this room. Your mind isn't going there, here and there and everywhere. And we're just here. 
you could experience it with your own mind and body, just attending to your breathing with another person. I, I have the good fortune of doing a lot of one-on-one work, both in my office and also when I lead retreats, one interview after another. And because it is a connecting and sustaining process, I am continually, uh, this is the way I put it, I'm continually falling in love. And not in the romantic sense, but just in, we can't help it. We can't help but fall in love if we're connected. So, so many of our actions deprive us of this simple capacity that comes through, through connecting. And ultimately, if your intention is wholesome, if it's not, I'm, I want to connect so somebody will like me or so I can get something, but if I really want to connect because that's what life wants me to do, because that's what we're meant to do, or because I want to be a benefit, or because I, because I really care, then anything, anything that you do that helps you connect uh, will have a wholesome result. It'll have benefits. And it will be, what I just described are the factors that also lead to concentration. And if you, if you have a very clear intention, I want to connect to be a benefit or to, to, to be able to bring goodwill or caring or to share in another's joy or to develop balance of mind, then that concentration that comes from connecting will grow exponentially exponentially with the feeling of love, of, of compassion, of joy and equanimity, the four, what are called the four boundless qualities. We will slowly, if we have that clarity of intention to keep widening our connection, we will experience, as the Buddha described, uh, the four immeasurable qualities, qualities of loving kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity. Here's what he said. Formerly, my mind was narrow and undeveloped, but now my mind is measureless and well-developed. No measurable karma will remain in it. None will persist there. What do you think, monks, if a young man or woman from his boy... Oh, I'll just do the man part because that's what's here from his boyhood onwards, were to develop the liberation of the mind by loving kindness, would he then do an evil deed? He would not, Lord. And not doing any evil deed, will suffering afflict him? It will not, Lord. How could suffering afflict one who does no evil deeds? Indeed, monks, the liberation of the mind by loving kindness should be developed by a man or a woman. A man or a woman cannot take their body with them and depart. Mortals have consciousness as the connecting link. But the the noble disciple knows whatever evil deeds I did before with this physical body, their results will be experienced here and they will not follow me alone. Loving kindness, if developed in such a way, will lead to the state of non-returning. That just means you won't create any more suffering. In the case of a monk who is established in the wisdom found here in this teaching, 
but who has not penetrated to the higher lib- to a higher liberation. He dwells pervading one quarter of a, with a mind imbued with compassion, with altruistic joy, with equanimity. Likewise, the second quarter, the third, the fourth. Thus, above, below, across, and everywhere, to all as to himself, he dwells pervading the entire world with a mind imbued with compassion, altruistic joy, and equanimity, vast, exalted, measureless, without hostility, and without ill will. He knows, formerly my mind was narrow and undeveloped, but now my mind is measureless and well-developed. No measurable karma will remain in it. None will persist. So by bringing our attention again and again with that, with that uh, altruistic intention, with the aim of connecting, with the aim of, of non-harming, we, we develop this uh, capacity to stop the, the war that goes on inside of us and stop the war in the world. You know what my, one of my favorite teachers, Srinis or Gadati, says? He says... If uh, he says the world is the way it is, I know I say this quite often here, the world is the way it is because people are the way they are. As long as people are the way they are, the world will be the way it is. If we want a peaceful world, we have to have peaceful people. Peace is not something you can impose on the world. Peace starts within our hearts and minds. So the Buddha recommended this boundless, uh, this training in these immeasurable this measureless mind uh, training in these immeasurable qualities. And he, he said, this is what should be done. This is his sutta. This is what should be done by those who are skilled in goodness, who know the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm, wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born or to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none, through anger or ill will, wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart, Should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upward to the skies, downward to the depths, outward and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, I'll say dependence on sense desires, is not born again into this world. And that just means not born into the cycle of suffering. So it's very central in the Buddha's teaching to connect 
and sustain that connection through the cultivation of goodwill. So I thought that we would, um, we would do a little loving-kindness practice, a little hybrid version that I think is useful after a long day's work, and a reminder that the practice of loving-kindness, the practice of connecting and sustaining with the intention of, of arousing loving-kindness, uh, one always begins with oneself. Because really what obstructs our loving-kindness is, is the way that we relate to ourselves. And our chronic, chronic way of relating to ourselves is not unlike the way I used to be when I started to, to lead classes, really hard on ourselves. And the first part is to become really friendly. We're so easy, we can so easily put our arm on another's shoulders. So somehow we're, we're taught that it's somehow wrong to do that with ourselves. Is, is this just me or is it, I think it's universal. But we begin with ourselves and bring the same kind of care and attention you would to uh, a baby or to somebody who's suffering. Here's what Thich Nhat Hanh said, hold dukkha or pain or dissatisfaction. Hold dukkha like a crying baby until you love it and it quiets down. So hold yourself right now until you love yourself and you will quiet down. So let your eyes close softly and gently bring attention to your to this to your the contours of your face and your head your hair just whatever that felt experience of your head is just sense these amazing uh, organs of perception the ears the eyes the nose the tongue all in this general vicinity ears eyes nose tongue and just envelop this your, this head that has so much going on that you need, <laughs> envelop it with loving attention. Just sensing the, the, your hair and your scalp and your skin and the bones of this head. Amazing. It's a miracle. Each movement of your attention across the forehead and eye sockets and cheeks and nose and mouth and jaw and let it open and relax and be received with loving attention, like each movement of your attention, a caress of kindness. With kindness sweeping your attention along the back of your skull, and the, the contours of your neck, the curve of your neck, and letting it, the attention sweep gently over the slope of the shoulder, each movement of your attention done with great kindness. Great kindness as your attention sweeps along your arms, your biceps and triceps, elbows, forearms, wrists, and hands. Just sensing these arms that are so important. This is a precious human body, your precious human body, even though you don't own it 
this rent-a-body is very dear and precious. So let your attention lovingly sweep and feel the skin and the flesh and the muscles and the bones of the arms. Down to the tips of the fingers. Sweeping lovingly along the curve of your back, along the spine, sensing this back, your back body and its muscles and its bones and its skin and flesh down to the the sacrum area and sweeping gently along the along the buttocks and the sits bones, each movement of attention, a caress of loving kindness. Lovingly attending to the area in the front of your neck, the throat chakra, letting it be open. Almost love to let everybody, have everybody let out a scream, but I don't think it would work. But just let the throat be open, Lovingly sweeping along the chest area, the heart center, the solar plexus and belly and the genital area. Let it all be received. Your attention sweep like a caress of loving kindness. Complete acceptance to the soft belly, to the tension or the looseness in the heart, the weakness or strength in the solar plexus and belly. Receiving the genital area without shame with deep appreciation. Just lovingly sweeping the attention along the the thighs, the knees, the shins, the calves, the ankles and feet, these legs that carry us. Just feeling this body with its, Hopefully, it's good health, but also its limitations, and to expect the limit, accept the limitations of this body graciously, and hold it in loving attention and loving kindness. And then dropping into this, perhaps you can sense a field of loving attention. Your body is just sitting within this field. Drop into the center of it, a deep wish that expresses words that express the deepest wish that you have for for yourself. May I be filled with loving kindness. May my mind and my body be happy. May I be peaceful. May I feel safe and protected from inner and outer harm. May I feel healthy and strong and accept my limitations graciously. May I have ease in my heart and a sense of well-being. May I accept myself just the way I am. May I be happy and peaceful, safe and protected healthy and strong. May I have ease of being. May my heart be at ease.
May I be free of clinging, condemning. May I be at ease. Letting that field of loving intention, loving intention and attention expand to include everyone in this room. Wishing everyone here in gladness and in safety, health, peace, happiness. May everybody here be happy and peaceful, safe and protected, healthy and strong. May everyone here live their lives with ease and have a sense of well-being. And as we want all of these qualities of well-being and the safety and health and peace and harmony, naturally all beings everywhere long for the same thing, long to be free of suffering and the causes of suffering, to be happy and know the causes of happiness. So may all beings everywhere, those near and dear to us, those who are invisible to us, those who are difficult for us, those who, those who are being born, those who are dying, may all beings and all creatures, all individuals, all who draw breath, may all beings be happy and peaceful, be filled with loving kindness, feel safe in this world, and live with ease. And may our practice be unceasing, this connecting and sustaining with this intention of arousing, expanding our field of loving kindness. May this be dedicated today and every day to the welfare and benefit of all. May all beings be liberated. So just a, um, a recommendation that you take a bit of your, if you, your 100-day retreat, your, those who are doing it and those who are practicing every day, who I still recommend that you do, if you, if you haven't been, take a portion of your practice and just tune in to connect and sustain with the intentions of, of loving kindness and goodwill. And this is what changes our mind you want to understand your future, look at what seeds you're planting now. And uh, I have no doubt that uh, this room, everyone in this room could be, a, uh, could be an ornament, a, um, a, um, a jewel, a wish-fulfilling jewel for so many beings. If you, if you allow yourself to be that field of loving-kindness. We all have that nature. It's part of our Buddha nature, part of our divine nature is to, is to be loving. And what blocks it is uh, all our bad habits. So we, we have to practice the four efforts. Cultivate the wholesome and maintain the wholesome. Abandon what's unwholesome that doesn't work in your life and prevent the unwholesome that has not arisen yet from arising. So practice, practice, practice. Thank you. And... Uh, I always like to remind everyone that um, 
I like to remind because it's a beautiful thing that we're here. Everything that's offered here is offered freely. But in order for us to keep practicing here, we need uh, help with the room rental, the teacher, Donna. In fact, we've had now two weeks in a row. Someone has been, and the name of the person is in the back. Thank you, Frank. The name of the person, or, and the last two weeks, someone has offered an evening at Spirit, uh, evening at Spirit Rock, an evening at Mission Dharma, which meant that they offered the Donna for the entire rental, which is 150 a week. It's very sweet. So we'd love to see that really take root. But if it's not that, please just offer something and to support us being able to practice here. And also the teachings are offered freely, so the invitation is to offer something to support the teachings here as well. So thank you. And Madison has a very short announcement about housing. Madison, right here. Anyway, thank you so much for your practice. Thanks for your generosity. And please uh, love everybody. What about next week? I can't hear you. Oh, the happiness hour is next week, which means that uh, for an hour before the, the regular sitting group, people will bring their own burritos or whatever and, uh, and hang out. So come, you know, you do a great job of hanging out while we're during the sitting period. Try to do a bit of it beforehand. <laughs> anyway, great to be with all of you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.